Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. Thanks for being here with us on this Tuesday afternoon. I am Cy Kellett, your host. Delighted to be here with you. And as we often do on Tuesday, we've got an open forum for you. So if you've got a question about the Catholic faith, whether you are Catholic or not, uh, whether you've ever even considered being a Catholic or not, if you have, there's something you'd like to know about the Catholic faith, we would like to do our very best to get you an answer. 888-318-7884 is the number, 888-318-7884. And uh, you can call if you're an expert in theology and philosophy. You can call if you don't know anything at all about it. Uh, you, please do not feel shy about picking up the phone and dialing. We have two very, very fine guests today that are happy to take your call. 888 888- 318-7884. Second hour, Tim Staples will be here. This hour, we welcome Colin Donovan, uh, who is the Vice President for Theology at uh, EWTN, the, the Global Catholic Radio and Television Network, and a member of the Pontifical Marian Academy. Uh, Colin Donovan, welcome. Uh, good to be with you, Sai. Did I say that right? Pontifical Marian Academy? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's Italian acronym. That's hard to say. PAMI oh. or Pontifical Marian Academy, I guess, would be the best short form. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to take that as a, as a win then. I'm going to yeah, put that I one in the so. win column. Uh, <laughs> 888-318-7884. Anything giving you trouble being the uh, vice president of theology at EWTN these days? Any f- f- uh, f- roaring theological controversies, or is it, is it all pretty? Uh, steady the ship well it's pretty steady we have a very uh, a very clear path of work reviewing programs and books and different things so that keeps us busy and um, there's been the usual uh, controversies of course in the church in the outside world and elsewhere but uh, pretty quiet on the home front okay well that's good it's not one of those situations where people are like oh I got called up to Collins off office I wonder what I said. No, not really. I'd it'd be down the hall to Colin's office would be more likely oh. for my All right. my department. All right, and they sweat the whole way down there. There's just no, I don't beads think of so. sweat falling <laughs> off there. I actually go to see them most of the time. <laughs> All right, how much of your uh, how much of your working life is devoted to uh, fixing problems created by Dr. Regarendi? Uh, oh, just a very large portion, you know. I always um, thought that. I always thought that. You know, it's just that. overwhelming, and I chastise him every time I see him. But uh, I, I'm so happy know. to have my suspicions confirmed on that. <laughs> what did Dr. Ray say again? Uh, 888-318-7884 is the number. There are two lines open already. Uh, uh, folks ready to go. Calls already screened. We have Jordan screening calls today, so it's, it's top-notch professionalism in there. Uh, so uh, if it's all right with you, Colin, we'll go to the phones. Well, let's do that. Right, let's start with Aaron in Hastings, Michigan, watching on YouTube. Aaron, welcome back. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Hey, um, I was actually wondering, how many levels of hell are there? Well, uh, I, I guess in Dante's Inferno, uh, there are nine levels of hell. But in reality, I suspect that sort of like the saints and angels, everyone is at a particular level of grace in the case of uh, the holy ones and of infamy in the case of those who are damned. So maybe theologically the best answer would be there are many, as many levels of hell as there are uh, the unrepentant who are there, whether angelic or uh, human. And because each, each the suffering and the reasons for it of each uh, will be will be different. Okay, Aaron. 
All right, sounds good. Thank you. It does that does not sound good. I mean, <laughs> I know, I, I, it sounds terrible, Aaron. <laughs> I know what I meant. I know what you meant. <laughs> Thank it's you. not a happy place in any case, but uh, yeah, uh, Dante, I think, was trying to make some generalizations, wholly appropriate in their own way on the on the vices and so on. Uh, but um, my answer might be closer to the fact, and I'll, I hopefully I'll never find out, nor will you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Aaron. At Thank least you. not by personal experience. Right, yeah, <laughs> only by rumor, one hopes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Uh, Zach's in Vancouver. <laughs> Uh, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Zach, thank you for downloading the app onto your phone. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Uh, hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, happy I, was reading through, I was reading through Sirach, uh in chapter 12, verse 4 to 7. It says, Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread and do not give it to them. And then later on in Verse 7, it says, give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. And I'm trying to reconcile that with, with Proverbs 25, 21, where it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to see how these scriptures can make sense with each other. Yeah, I, I would make a general observation that all of these issues at least are treated by the Church in her moral theology as questions of prudence. Uh, you know, I suppose if you knew somebody was going to go out and buy drugs, you knew they were going to go out and buy a gun and rob a grocery store or do something else evil, you know, or run off with their, uh, you know, their lover to some place, then common sense, if you're familiar with, with, with the plans of, of those who are evil, you, it would say you would not give to them. You not, wouldn't give to them to advance the sin which they are doing or are living in or intend to do. On the other hand, if somebody is your enemy, and this is certainly a point which Christ made as well with regard to the Good Samaritan, but is in need of a real, true, material or spiritual aid, the works, uh, you know, the, we have the, the church has the spiritual works of mercy, such as, you know, teaching the ignorant and so on, to teach about the truth, to, you know, to give uh, fraternal correction where it's needed and so on, but also the spiritual works of mercy. If there is a real spiritual material need, even if the person is your enemy, even if you are, he is a Samaritan in the example Christ gives, then you would assist them in those needs. So I think it can't be reduced to a simple formula, and uh, in that respect, I think the general message of those verses is probably along that line. Um, and in any case, what we're obliged to do in reading the sacred scripture is try to reconcile those things. We have the difficulty of not being able to get into the mind of the, you know, of the author, the human author at least. And so we go, we try to get the context, certainly. We go maybe, well, what, what's in the verse before? What's in the verse after? What's in, what's in the chapter before? What is in the chapter after? What do great thinkers or, or the fathers or the doctors of the church or, or the popes or whatever, what, what do they say about these things? Uh, all, to, all with the purpose of trying to find what is the specific application here. So not having done that, I'm, I'm going to stick to what I refer to as the general application here, and that is you don't help a person to advance their sin or contribute to their sin in any way 
if you can foresee that that's what your assistance would do. If it's a question of an authentic material and spiritual need, then by all means provide it even to your enemy. And I, you know what? I think I'm going to just leave that there. I hope that that was helpful. I expect that it was, but I realize I got to take the break. So I'm going to take the break now and we will come back with more calls for Colin Donovan. It's open forum. There are two lines open. You are welcome to call if you have a question about the Catholic faith. Wherever you are and whoever you are, you are welcome here. Just dial 888-318-7884. Catholic Answers Live. Do you have a question but prefer to ask it privately? Catholic Questions can help. Go to catholicquestions.com to ask your question online, email us, drop us a letter, or give us a call. Longtime Catholic Answers Live apologist and author Jim Blackburn or another Catholic Questions apologist will be happy to assist you. Catholic Questions proudly supports Catholic Answers Live. So visit us at catholicquestions.com today. That's catholicquestions.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Colin Donovan is our guest. He's the Vice President for Theology at EWTN. And you uh, are welcome to ask him whatever question you'd like about the Catholic faith, 888-318-7884. Going back to the phones, before I do that, I will invite you again to come with us on the Catholic Answers Cruise. And this is where I understand where we are right now. It has been uh, a lot, lots of folks have signed up. It's been quite successful. And what will happen now is over the course of the next month, the cruise line will uh, t- begin to take um, spaces back from us. So you got to sign up before the end of March, uh, in, in essence, if you want to go on the cruise with us. And I, I'm not, I, I guess we get assigned a certain number. We're getting close uh, to the max. And then uh, the seats that are left will, or the, excuse me, the, the rooms that are left um, will we'll, uh, go back to the cruise line uh, at the end of March. I'm told you can still come with us, but it would be much more expensive because it, w- it wouldn't be at our group rate. So if you want to come on the cruise with us, we're going to cruise from uh, Montreal. We'll go through Quebec. We'll uh, see lots of uh, the wonderful uh, eastern part of Canada and then down to Bar Harbor, Maine and Boston and having uh, mass every day and l- meals together and lots of great times. And we'll, we'll have some wonderful talks on Christianity in the new world, how the coming of Christianity into this uh, new setting. We'd love it if you'd join us. Just go to CatholicAnswersCruise.com, CatholicAnswersCruise.com and sign up. And as I said, uh, by the end of March, we will no longer have our group rate. So uh, now is the time to start thinking about it and uh, checking it out if you'd like to come. CatholicAnswersCruise.com. Malachi is in Alabama watching on YouTube. Malachi, we're awful glad you're here. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. All right. Thank you for taking my call so quickly. My question Mm -hmm. was that um, uh, pertaining about baptism to infants and how that works, because 
you know, I come from a Baptist background, so that's sort of mm-hmm. hard to understand. Sure. Yeah, the the idea is that the parents have the authority over their child um, until they grow up, until they become of age. And in that parental authority, they make the decision to baptize their child, uh, to, in other words, to raise their child in the spiritual family of faith, just as the Israelites would raise their children in Judaism. So the child is brought into the people of God, and the parents are raising them to have uh, in, in the faith, in the, teachings, uh, in the teachings of the faith, to live an upright life. That's the context in which a parent with their parental authority can, in the name of the, uh, the, name of the child, and the godparents do this as well, who, who, who cooperate uh, as uh, you know, the, the godparents, they commit to doing this as well. And it's illustrated in other circumstances. For example, the church would forbid a person to baptize somebody else's child in fear that they might not uh, be raised in the faith. So grandparents who disagree with their own children regarding the raising of their grandchildren don't have a right to intervene and to secretly baptize, for example. They're not the ones who in God's providence has been entrusted with that child. So there are, in, there are implicitly in the, uh, in the text of the New Testament, you see them in the Acts of the Apostles, where it says whole households were baptized. Well, unless you are a non-literalist, you say, well, it must mean whole households without the babies, without the children who weren't old enough to make a profession of faith, to say, to say you know, I believe in Jesus and ask to be delivered from my sins. So it's implied in there. But the greater argument for the Catholic position is the church has always done it. Back to the apostolic age. Back to the first century, the second century. You see it in the writings of the fathers and so on. There is no time east or west, either in the Greek church, which became the Orthodox church, or in the Western church, which uh, is the Catholic church. There is never a time when infants were not baptized. That gives you the true and authentic understanding of this matter. It's only with the, with the Reformation and the in, in insertion of an interpretation that contradicts all that history and even the implied texts of the New Testament, that you are saved by water. We just had the chat text in the Mass a couple of days ago that as Noah, no eight people were saved through the flood by Noah, baptism is like that. It saves us. It's not a washing away of dirt, but a washing away of sin. Of course, the Ethiopian eunuch had to be baptized. So the importance of baptism as the door or the gate to Christian faith and to grace, as Jesus himself said when he said, unless you are baptized by water and the Holy Spirit, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God, is something that's not denied to children, but it has to be done by the parents who have authority into them. And they're bringing them into their natural family at their birth, and they're bringing them into the spiritual family of God the Father, in which Christ is our brother. And so that's, that's the logic, and that's the continuous tradition of the church 
going back to the first century. Malachi, that makes sense to you? Yeah, that makes better sense, that they're living off the faith of their parents. Very good. Well, thank you for the yeah. call. I hope as more questions come up, you'll, you'll call again. I appreciate it. Uh, on we go to Mississippi now. Jacob is in Mississippi listening on our website, catholic.com. Jacob, welcome. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Thank you for taking my call. Happy to. Uh, my question is, if someone with a severe mental illness like schizophrenia, for example, if they were hearing like voices telling them to commit sins of impurity, would it still be a mortal sin for them? Well, the Church looks at it this way. Something is a mortal sin because it's intrinsically wrong. So sins of impurity are intrinsically wrong. The next question to ask is, are they doing it freely? In other words, knowing that it's that is gravely wrong and are they complete moral freedom? This is where you get into the effect of mental illness. This is where you get in the, the effects which our culture has that people are conditioned to believe it's all right and they struggle against that and they struggle and they struggle. So there's no clear answer that uh, just because a person has some kind of mental illness, whatever it is, that they're, they're excused from doing that sin. It doesn't give them permission to do that sin, however, even if they are. So the Lord knows whether that person is... Uh, is really encumbered in their will and incapable of resisting sins of impurity. He will know that. The person will struggle to understand themselves. The confessor would probably try to help them to understand themselves. So it doesn't excuse it and doesn't mean that, well, for you it's okay, or this person because of a mental illness or a struggle. But it means to understand oneself and to be merciful. Some people would you know, be inclined to just sort of beat themselves up as if they were fully guilty. Others know their own weakness, and they, they, it, it's, you know, uh, it's difficult for them to admit the, the painfulness of, of that struggle, but they do it, and, they, and they, give, they go to confession, and they confess their sin, and they have those, hear those wonderful words, words, I absolve you from your sin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we can't, you can't say black and white, yes, just because of some struggle that it's not a mortal sin. But in very many cases, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches this, it diminishes the culpability even to the point that it is only venially sinful uh, or even that is free from sin. But those are individual cases, and the confessor might help a person understand you know, their situation, but I think in many cases, only God knows. It's that we continue to struggle against any kind of sin that is the proof of our sincerity. If we were to say, well, I'm free to do it, well, then we have to look, am I really being sincere in seeking God and trying to do His will? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Question. Thank, Thank you. Guys. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you very much for the you're, call. You're welcome. Hey, it's Open Forum, and once again, two lines open. You're welcome to call if you've got a question about the Catholic faith, 888-318-7884. Going to Oklahoma now. Jack is in Oklahoma. Thank you for the call, Jack. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to have you, Jack. Um, my question is, uh, so I grew up Protestant, and um, I... Um, 
married a lady, and she was uh, been married or been Catholic her whole life. Went to church with her for seven years before I actually converted at the end of last year. And uh, my question is, um, we go to church with my family from time to time at the Protestant mm-hmm. church that I grew up in. And my question is, can I still take communion with my family to kind of keep the peace, knowing that it's not the true body and true blood of Jesus Christ? Um, is that okay, or do I just not? Am I not able to take communion with them anymore at all? No, you're you're not able to because it would be it, it would give uh, the wrong idea to people that you actually equate that. So you have, think of it as you have a room of a couple hundred people, 300 people, 1,000, whatever, however many people are in a particular service. You know your situation. Your family knows your situation. You know, maybe a few other people who know them know the situation, that you're doing it just to be sociable. Then the other 890 people, however, Oh, hi! I heard he's a Catholic, and he's going. Is he thinking of converting? Is he coming back to? So this is what the words what is called scandal, and also because then it, it, I, I think it, it will it will eventually cloud your judgment as to the importance of the Catholic Eucharist, of receiving our Lord. So, you know, I I hate to say this, but. Really, our family members who disagree with us on spiritual matters, on religious matters, on political matters in a time when everything seems to be controverted these days in life and culture, we just have to learn to realize that, hey, I have my conscience and I'm following it. You have your conscience and you're following it. I'm not trying to force you. Don't try to force me. And I think we have to stand our ground that you have a set of beliefs now that you can't, you know, walk away from without, you know, being lacking a little bit in integrity. Uh, there, there's a great line. Uh, there's a great line in uh, "Man for All Seasons," where Thomas More and the Duke of uh, Duke of Norfolk is talking about, you know, he's trying to talk more into. Well, you could you say the right words, and the king will think you're agreeing with him, and whatever. What does it matter? Well, he's saying Norfolk, I can't do that. If you go, you know, you go to heaven for following your conscience, and I go to pur- purgatory for following. Are you going to come along with me and keep me company? No, we don't. We're not sociable when it comes to our conscience. We have to follow it, and we have to respect the decisions of other people, even though we may agree, disagree with them vociferously. But they also have to learn to accept ours, and I think uh, this is a particular case of that. Okay, thank you. No, that makes sense. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Thank you for the call. Uh, Let's go to New Jersey now. Frank's in New Jersey listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Frank, thanks for downloading the app onto your phone. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, my question is uh, like a hypothetical. If uh, a priest is doing the consecration and he finishes with the, the, the host, but then has a heart attack and dies, the ritual is not completed because the wine hasn't been consecrated. Can a deacon still go out and give the host as communion to the, the parishioners, or, or does something else have to happen there? Uh, the, the practice is and the protocol is that 
obviously when you take care of the poor fellow and the EMTs take him away, then another priest comes in if there's an associate and he completes the mass. Because the question of we say and we believe that in the words of consecration the species are changed. But as a mass the Eucharist should be seen as the fruit of that sacrifice. And so it's not allowed to simply abandon what has been started or to distribute communion without completing what has been started, and that is the Mass. So that's what would be done. Uh, you, a deacon will do you no good, but obviously if there's one priest in the parish, notify the neighboring parish, and he, somebody would have to come and complete the Mass and be able to distribute communion. The deacon could distribute communion, obviously, to people from the tabernacle. There's probably hardly a parish in the United States where there is not some reserved host uh, species in the tabernacle. And so a communion service could be held for the benefit of those who are present and can't wait for the Mass to be completed and to receive from it. But no, uh, you, the species that are on the altar must remain there and another priest will come along and finish the Mass. Frank, interesting uh, hypothetical question. Thanks very much uh, for the call and the question. Uh, I feel like I keep saying this, but two lines open again. So uh, while we take this very quick break, if you want to dial the phone and get in line, uh, you can get your question into Colin Donovan. Any question about the Catholic faith from anyone at all is welcome. 888-318-7884. Why We're Catholic is the one book you can hand to anyone to invite them into or back to the Catholic faith. With more than 400,000 copies sold, Trent Horn's book has had a number one ranking on Amazon.com for five years running. Now available in softcover, bulk cases, ebook, and on Audible. Find out what the excitement is all about. Order your copies of Why We're Catholic at shop.catholic.com or visit whywearecatholic.com. Is relativism dead? It sure seems dead. Each day, new moral demands are made and they are presented to us as absolutes. Everything from transgender ideology to physician-assisted suicide is presented as a moral good that all right-thinking people must accept. But Catholic Answers' own Carlo Broussard says look deeper and you will see today's moralism is just relativism dressed up in new clothes. Carlo's eye-opening book, the New Relativism shines a light on how the sacred moral teachings of this age cover up a deep denial of moral truth. Order your copy of The New Relativism today at shop.catholic.com and be prepared to defend the truth against aggressive relativism. The New Relativism at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Lord needs articulate defenders of the truth to spread the joy of the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Monthly Giving Club, Society 315, helps you fulfill the call in 1 Peter 315 to always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. For as little as $10 a month, you'll help Catholics grow in faith, bring lapsed Catholics home, and lead non-Catholics to the truth. Go to casociety315.com and join today. 
Matt Swaim here. Tomorrow on the Sunrise Morning Show, we'll check in to see how your Lent is going one weekend and get you all the latest news, weather, sports, and a whole lot more. Now back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Next hour, Tim Staples will be here with us, but we'll continue with Open Forum. This hour, Colin Donovan, Vice President for Theology at EWTN, is here with us. Your calls are welcome, 888-318-7884. I do want to stress, it's where uh, the lines are open to anybody. You, if, if, uh, if, sometimes I, I know people are sheepish, and they're like, I really don't know that much about the Catholic faith, but I, want to, uh, you know, I wish I knew the answer to this. That's fine. If, you, if you've got the question, probably another 20,000 people have the question as well, so... Uh, please feel free to call. And by the way, we love having these conversations. So you're uh, you're uh, making us happy if you call. 888-318-7884. Up next is Kristen in Virginia, listening on our website, catholic.com. Kristen, welcome. Go ahead with your question. So my question is, <clears throat> basically, if someone is like brand new to the Catholic faith, not only the Catholic faith, but just any faith, Christian at all, um, is it wise to start, like, studying apologetics, like, right away, or would you, like, advise somebody to, like, wait a little bit until after, like, their confirmation and baptism and, and all that stuff? <laughs> well, we're all called to give a reason for our hope if we're asked. Apologetics uh, suggests that you do this as a you know, as a vocation or an avocation, as a hobby. Uh, I think that as a hobby, it's something that should wait. There used to be, this was not any rule in the church, but a very common practice that after somebody had been received into the church that they wouldn't be accepted in the seminary or for religious life or for uh, any particular work like that because there might be a there may be an excessive or a mistaken zeal there. You know, you're a new a new Catholic. You're all excited about it. I want to share this with everybody, uh, or you know, I want to become mm -hmm. a priest. I want to do this. Get your feet on the ground. Get settled into the faith. Then you have a better basis for beginning to talk with whoever your spiritual advisor is, and you should have one, whether it's your parish priest or a priest that you know in your family or or other circumstance, and to discuss, you know, what can I do next? What can I do next to serve the Lord in some way? I think with apologetics, that requires a lot more, uh, a lot more deep diving than most people really understand. Uh, not only is there simply the knowledge factor, which is best gained by every Catholic by studying the catechism which you can do there are books that will help you you know to read and study the catechism Ignatius press has a little compendium or a companion to the catechism with all the uh, footnote text uh, in it and other information to help you understand what you're reading get well grounded in those things you know listening to this program listening to open line watching uh, uh, dr. Anders call to communion or listening on the, uh, on the radio any way that you can build up your knowledge of the faith until that time when you're ready to say, you know, maybe I can put this to use. 
I wouldn't dive into it right away. I don't think that's, you know, you know, that's a good practice. Um, you know, even a Marine, when they give them a gun, ideally they don't want to have to send them directly off to war. They want to have them do other things and get other practice before they send them. And he's, and he's seasoned and polished and ready, you know, ready to perform as a Marine ought to. This is sort of like that uh, without the bloodshed. Absolutely. Um, and I just have one other question, if I may. Um, are there any, uh, do you have like a favorite like church father that you liked reading um, while you were studying to mm-hmm. um, do what you do? Well, uh, back in the day, and now I'm going back to the late 60s and early 70s here, there was a three-volume mm-hmm. con- collection by, uh, by a Father Jurgens which was a summary of the fathers, and you start at the beginning. You read, you know, uh, you read Pope Clement in the first century to the Corinthians. You read the letters of Ignatius to the seven churches of the writings of Polycarp, of Justin Martyr. Martyr. Uh, and so you work your way up from the beginning. That's, that's a good way to do, and uh, that's that's particular book that I used uh, ages ago now. Uh, but there will be there are other things, and most of those are available. You look up, you look po- Pope Clement, or uh, or even if you go to um, um, the Catholic res- what's the the website I'm thinking of the newadvent.org, where they have all all of the fathers online. You can start with the early fathers and work your way up into the second century and the third and go through. Um, and they'll all they'll all have something that they they'll they'll be teaching you because they're addressing the problems of their day, and the church has had problems and opponents and enemies going back to the beginning, and the fathers were fighting them in the first century, the second, the third, all the way up to today, and so this is this is a great historical overview of the of the battles the church has had with the different uh, questions that have arisen, the specific heresies and schisms and so on that she faced. Uh, And it's a good way of educating yourself because frankly, nothing new under the sun. Most of those problems come around again and most of them are present in some form today, whether in the church or in the world. So that would be a good way to start from the beginning. Kristen, thank you. Thanks very much for the call and for the questions, and I hope we'll hear from you again. It's Open Forum. Colin Donovan is our guest this hour. Our number is 888-318-7884. And off to St. Louis, Missouri we go. Chris is in St. Louis, also listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Chris, welcome. Go ahead with your question. No? No, Chris? I think you might be on mute, Chris. I'll tell you what, I'm going to come back to you in a sec. I'm going to go down to Savannah, Georgia, beautiful Savannah, Georgia, where Dave is listening on the EWTN app. Dave, welcome. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Can I hear you? I think I hear the waves of Tybee Island in the background. Dave, are you there with us? <laughs> no, Nobody wants to talk. I don't know. Are they scared of you, Colin, now? I, I, I don't know. I, I think hope you're, not. Your answer is really. It was very high intellectual stuff. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're like, I don't know if I can deal with this guy. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody's afraid of Colin Donovan. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take the break, 
now and we'll see it could be our phones sometimes that happens we'll we'll straighten it out whatever it is and we'll be right <laughs> back with more questions because all the lines are full so we know there are lots of people with questions for colin uh, we just need to get them to talk and uh, we'll do that right after this on catholic answers live there's only one catholic answers live Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. One of the biggest mistakes a Christian can make is to try to do good without God's help. St. Therese said, when we trust only ourselves and not God, our soul becomes incapable of virtue. Her remedy, works of charity. And the greatest work of charity is to share the gospel. At St. Paul Street Evangelization, a Catholic nonprofit, we encourage you to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Catholic Answers is supported in part by St. Paul Street Evangelization. StreetEvangelization.com From Rome to your home, EWTN's Vatican Bureau lets you watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have a TV. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home. Watch live on EWTN YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. EWTN is the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live, where lots of folks are calling, but we just can't get them to talk. But that could be a, a phone thing. I don't know. We're, we're okay on line four, if I go to line four? Well, oh, it's, it's, we don't know. No one in the booth <laughs> knows. Let's try it again. Let's see. Dave in Savannah, Georgia, you there with us? No, Dave is... Uh, I, oh, hello, Dave. I'm glad you're here. Go ahead with your question for Colin. Oh, it's a phone thing. We're gonna to have to come back to you, Dave. Uh, it's it's um, it's it's doing something weird. I I don't know what that is on line four, but we'll give it a try again. Hang on, Dave. We're not we're not hanging up on you. Let's try Kentucky. Uh, Maria in Kentucky, listening on EWTN. This will be a good experiment. We'll see if uh, Georgia or Kentucky has a better phone system. Uh, Maria, you there with us? Well, it's Myra, and oh, yes, uh, Wildcat always have a better connection than Peaches. <laughs> well, uh, we're glad to have you, Myra. Uh, thank. You. I didn't know you were going to take a dig at Georgia, but I'm perfectly fine with it. I am perfectly fine. I am as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the University of in any case. Uh, uh, exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Myra, with your question. I have a question about the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, scouting mm -hmm. writ large nationally, internationally, is it, you know, even the Catholic Scouting Association is still associated with the Council of Scouting? I just, mm -hmm. I need direction, please. Sure, yeah. Because our church just had a, we regularly have, um, like, Scouting Day, which was this past Sunday, and my husband and I left before the final blessing, because it was just like, I can't do this one more year, I just, I, mm. because I don't know enough to not be troubled. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I, historically, scouting is a, was a fine, and I think in many places still is a, a wonderful organization. You know, the United States is not the only country in which it is. We seem to have a bunch of yahoos running it, apparently. Uh, but, you know, the, the Catholic scouting is sort of a different beast. Uh, you know, I've heard clergy say, well, as long as they don't go some of the other places that the rest of the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts have gone, uh, you know, we'll continue to support it. And at the point that they do, sayonara. And I think that's that's a good approach to take, that, you know, if your particular troop, troop is not locked up, you know, it's not sending your kids to co-ed summer camps, uh, it's not teaching the gender ideology as some of their literature a number of years ago were dem was demonstrated to uh, to do, and those kinds of things, then, you know, that's fine. But I think all all Catholic troops have to be conscious of what's going on in the rest of scouting and to be prepared, you know, to say this is a bridge too far and we can't cross it with you at some point. And I, th I think the national organization probably realizes, just from the financial point of view, they're not going to push the Catholic troops too far. So I think in and of itself, the values of scouting, as has been historically uh, taught, I was not in the Boy Scouts, but I was in the Cub Scout as a youngster. Um, my, my daughter is in American Heritage Girls, which is a, a, a Christian girls' troops, but they have a Catholic... Uh, uh, Catholic troops as well. We have them at a couple of the parishes here in town, Our Lady of Sorrows, I think Our Lady of the Valley, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's, uh, there are different groups out there for boys, none of which are associated with scouting, however. But the basic idea of that kind of character building for boys and girls is a very strong thing, and I see the advantages of it uh, with, the, with the AHG. Uh, approach to it. Uh, so I think that's the way to, to look at it. Be attentive. You know, if you're giving money to support your Catholic troop that you know is solid, that's one thing. You know, if the national organization is doing a big fundraiser and you see that their stuff is going for nonsense, well, you wouldn't give money for nonsense in any other area, and I wouldn't do it in, in this uh, one either. I, I hope that that's helpful. Thank you very much uh, uh, for the call. Uh, and, uh, and I guess Kentucky wins. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, if I'm, <laughs> Myra. Well, they may not get that chance in football, but. No, <laughs> no that's just mean. Uh, does that all make sense to you, Myra? Uh, you know, it gives me, it gives me good direction. Okay. Um, my husband was also a scout growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we do, and we do have heritage girls and stuff around here. So, you know, I just, you just wonder, like, how many degrees of separation does it have to be before <laughs> in some stuff that, you know. Right. Well, that's, I think, in giving the money to the big organization, which is, you know, willy-nilly spending it on things that Catholics can't go along with. That's, uh, that's I think, unless it's very specifically targeted 
um, uh, generically, I wouldn't be throwing my money in some big pot that you don't know how it's going to be spent. We, all, we already do it with the federal government. I wouldn't add any more nonsense to my financial <laughs> burdens. <laughs> Myra, thank you very, very much. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see where we're going next. Uh, we're going to John in Nebraska. We can't go back to uh, Georgia. We couldn't get that line to work. So uh, if, if uh, the caller David in Georgia wants to call back again, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, and I'm sorry that we that we had trouble on that line, but uh, we, we can't get through right now. Uh, John is in Nebraska listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Glad to have you here with us, John. Go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. I got an, I can't. Uh, John, are you talking? Yes, I am. Are you on speaker or something? Because it, it's very hard to hear you. No, I'm not on speaker, but I'm oh. clear out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, oh, you're clear out in the can middle of nowhere. All right, yeah, we can we can hear you now. Yes. Okay, on the sacrament of reconciliation, um, I want to know how explicit do you get when you're confessing your sins to the priest? Prime example is, say, say having an affair. Okay, do I say, do you tell the priest, um, I committed adultery? Do you say I sinned against the Sixth Commandment? which a lot of sins fall under that. Um, just how, how explicit are you supposed to be? The obligation is to provide the kind of sin. The kind there would be adultery. It wouldn't be a generic, you know, Sixth Commandment violation, which could be small. It could be great. The number of times, the, uh, the number, the kind and the number, and anything that specifies it. So relations outside marriage is sinful, and he will know you're married by either using the word adultery, um, and I would say you would also want to say that you're married, uh, whether she's married or he's, uh, you're married, she's married. These are circumstances which can change the character of the sin and the gravity of the sin. You know, so there's a difference between two single people. There's a difference between one single and one married and two people who are married. Those are differences of gravity. So the priest doesn't want to know the details per se, you know, like it's a pulp novel. He wants to know the number, the kind, and any aggravating or specifying circumstances. That's all you have to tell him. Does that make sense, John? Sure. Okay. I got one other question too. Okay. During the Apostles' Creed, during the Apostles' Creed, when um, when it, we say the the, the Lord re, uh, ascended into heaven and sitted at the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead, I understand judging the dead, but what what about judging the living? How does that play? Because at the end of the world, because what do we say next? And He shall come again to judge the living and the dead, or will we come again in glory? At the end of the world, some will be alive and some will be dead. Uh, the dead will have their bodies raised up for glory or for uh, an eternity uh, elsewhere than heaven. And those who are living uh, will, the good will, as uh, Scripture tells us in Thessalonians, that uh, they will go to meet the Lord in the sky, and the evil will tell, uh, will go to go to their damnation, to their judgment and damnation. So the living are those who would be alive at the end of the world. 
Uh, thank you, John. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, on we go. Let's go to Carlton in Texas listening on the EWTN app. Carlton, uh, go ahead with your question for Colin Donovan. Hello. You could hear me, yes? We can, yes. Thanks for asking. We've been having trouble. But, yeah, we can hear you fine, Carlton. Wonderful. Uh, I regarded this question from a guy from my work, so I know that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. However, he disputes that he is all fully God but not fully man, and he was just a God manipulating as human emotions. What do I say in response to that? And what do I say the next time he proposes this question again? <clears throat> well, first of all, it, I said earlier about how things keep coming around, errors in history. This was what the first three centuries was, was fought over, people misconceiving the nature of the Incarnation. Uh, Christ is fully God because only as God he could save us, he could reconcile us to the Father. His, 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 um, his, his acts are said to be theandric, Theo, God, Andros, man. So they're both divine and human acts. So as God, he saves us in his human nature. He is saving human nature, in other words, us. So this was the necessity of him being God and man. Uh, this is why one like a son of man, as we read in the, in the book of Daniel, they see, they see this uh, glorified person, one like a son of man. Son of man was the way the Jews would say in Hebrew, Ben Adam, the son of uh, hum, human nature. So that's a way of referring to human nature. But it's a human nature united to God. So he's fully human because if he doesn't have all the parts of human nature, body and soul, we're the only creature who have both a body and a soul, he's not fully human. And unless he is God, the second person of the Trinity, he's not divine. So this was how the church arrived at explaining that against all of those who offered uh, criticisms and different understandings such as that, uh, such as he was, you know, sort of assumed a kind of divinity or he was granted divinity uh, or he was only. So, for instance, the name which the church gave to Our Lady, Theotokos, God-bearer. The alternative that was out and about that they were fighting against was that she was the mother of Jesus, but not the mother of God. Well, the mother of Jesus downplayed the divinity of Christ, the divinity and the Godhead of Christ. Wherein mother of God admits that the person acting in all of his acts on earth, from his incarnation to his glorification, were the acts of a God who took a human form of the second person of the Trinity who became man. And so they said that is the clarifying thing against all of these heresies. But frankly, you need faith to accept it. So you can propose that to him, but it's not about convincing him. You also need to pray for him because only God can give the gift of faith. That's a sort of an amazing thing. We can talk to we're blue in our face, whether on the radio or TV or in controversy with somebody, but ultimately the gift of faith is a gift from God, and we need to accompany that with prayer, whether you're an apologist, a theologian, a priest, a bishop, the pope, or somebody just trying to explain it to somebody, uh, somebody else why Jesus is both God and man. So do what you can, but then commit it to prayer. 
Carlton, thank you. I'm going to keep going, see how many we can get on here with uh, Colin before we have to go. Up to Wisconsin we go. Emma is in Wisconsin, uh, listening on our website, catholic.com. Emma, welcome. Go ahead with your question for Colin. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question on accountability, sin accountability. Uh, it is my understanding that if you really don't know that you're committing a sin, that you're not really fully accountable for it, I, I, I guess that's part of my question. Um, I guess you can answer that first, and then I can follow mm-hmm. through with my the rest of my question. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you, you, you have to know something is sinful, and you have to have the will to do it, as I explained over, and otherwise you... Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're not accountable to God for it. Uh, that's that's something, that's the purpose of conscience, is to tell us when those situations are. And the odd thing is, as the Church teaches, that even people who are in error and believe wrongly that something is gravely sinful, when they do it, they commit a grave sin, because ultimately their purpose is to violate the law of God as they understand it. Their conscience is wrong, and somebody else doing the very same thing would not be sinning, who knows it's not a sin, but thinking it's a sin, they commit a grave sin because of that willingness to offend God in a grave matter, even though they're wrong about that fact. It's what's in their will, what's in their heart. Now, was there a second part to your question? Um, I think you kind of answered it, but I just want to make sure I understand. So, I guess my example... One of my examples would be, um, for example, somebody who's not living, who's they're living together, but they're not married. Um, I guess I can say myself. So in the beginning, I didn't realize, like, when we moved in together, I didn't realize that was a sin at all. I had no idea that mm-hmm. was something. I just thought, sure. no big deal. So if I would have passed away not knowing that, would I be accountable for that is what I kind of want to know. Okay, Emma, I'm going to let him answer because we're getting yeah. near the end. Yeah. Well, it is sort of a moot point now. Now you know, so you're bound by that knowledge. But the answer to that is no. God knows your heart even better than you do. And if he, if you were innocent of that, you know, the danger is, of course, is sometimes we fool ourselves. We tell ourselves that something's not, not, not wrong because it pleases us or something. All of that can be mixed in there. But again, uh, God would be the judge of that. Uh, and this is the trouble, frankly, of our age. Our culture has us acclimated us to that kind of, you know, shacking up before marriage. Um, and it's not good for the individuals, either spiritually or even maritally, as so many studies have shown. Emma, thank you. Uh, and I hope that that was helpful to you. Thank you very much for the call. Colin Donovan has been our guest this hour. Tim Staples will be here. So if you're on the line, hang on the line. If you haven't called yet, there'll be two lines open, 888 888- 318-7884. Colin, it's always a pleasure to get to do an hour with you. Thank you for doing it with us. Always happy to do it, sir. All right. Uh, we'll take a very quick break and then right back to the phones. Open Forum continues right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live. 